Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church in Huntington Beach, California. Whether you are listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. Um, what was the line for old guys versus young guys? Which team would I have been on? I was 34. 30, oh, man. I'm officially an old guy. That's not good. Well, it sounded like I was on the winning. T- I would have been on the winning team, but as it ended up on Wednesday, I was on a winning team. Um, I think we have some pictures of what, what we were up to on Wednesday. Uh, we actually, it was also pretty full contact. We actually served homeless down at the Grace Lutheran Church in Huntington Beach. And uh, the image that stuck out in my mind was when I showed up at 9 o'clock in the morning, um, somebody said, hey, it's your job to, to be a part of the grip and rip team. I'm like, what is the grip and rip team? It ends up that we went over to the turkeys that hadn't been carved, and we hand-carved them with our hands, our bare hands. We ripped them and we gripped them and ripped them and, and tore all the meat off of them. And the fun thing about the team was it was a total group effort. We had people that were dropping off the turkeys. We had people that were prepping the turkeys. We had people that were, that were mixing everything together and then taking it and serving it to our friends that joined us on that day. And you can see some of the snapshots. One of the, 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 the two snapshots that sticked out in my mind were a guy by the name of James. He's got the big beard. You can see him in the picture. And we've actually served James before at uh, another opportunity. And he was a little embarrassed to see us again. And it was, it was great for us to just sit down, maybe spend a half hour with him, talking about the things that he's involved in, the things that he's passionate about. And that was a, th- a trend the whole morning, was to look around and see our people sitting next to our guests and getting to know them on a, on a more personal level. Finding out their story, it was a great thing. It made for a great morning and a great way to, to kick off our, our Thanksgiving. So we were on a great team this week, and I appreciate all of your guys' help. Uh, those of you who cooked, those of you who prepped, and those of you who stayed to serve, it truly was a great thing. Well, this week we continue on our topic of... of uh, um, consumerism, and specifically talking about this idea of dependence. Now, when I was a young kid, I grew up in a very small town near LAX Airport, a little town called El Segundo, California. And as a young boy, I, I quickly realized that this was a very small town, and it was a time for me to spread my wings. I'd gotten old enough to go out on this great adventure and, and extend my independence. And so what I did was, on an afternoon, I just decided to leave. And so I walked down the sidewalk, and I got to the corner. I said, you know what? The best thing for me to probably do is just follow this sidewalk. So I took a right and followed the sidewalk until I got to the next corner. And very, very soon I realized that, well, maybe I should just stay on the sidewalk. And so all of a sudden I realized if I keep this up, I'm going to end back right where I started. And I was faced with my first challenge on this journey, which was if I'm going to go any farther, if I'm going to exercise my independence anymore, I'm going to have to cross the street. And I wasn't ready to do that. And so as I was wrestling with the decision, and I wasn't ready to go home, but I certainly wasn't ready to go across the street, a couple of El Segundo's finest pulled up. And they asked me a question that really put me on the spot. They said, what's your name, son? And I realized that if I gave him my name, it would probably shortly end my adventure. So I came up with the best thing I knew how to do, which was an alias. But I only knew one other name. And that name was Joe Buderbaugh. Now, Joe Buderbaugh was my neighbor. And I don't care how old you are, Joe Buderbaugh is a fun name to say. So clearly, it just rolled off the tongue. My name's Joe Buderbaugh. And quickly, the, the officers looked and they checked and they said, clearly, this is not Joe Buderbaugh. They are very different people. But let's go off this one lead. And so they took me to Joe Buderbaugh's house. And as they got out of the squad car, they were stopped by my mother. Because my mother could see in the back of the squad car. She could see my head. Not my entire head, just about this part up this little blonde towhead in the back seat of this car, and she said, officers, I know exactly who that boy belongs to. And so my bold adventure, 
going out on my independence, ended up with a very short ride in a police car and being carried back into the house by my mom. I'm saying for a three-year-old, it was a pretty good run. It was a pretty good run at three. I think all of us would like to believe that we're very independent people and that we're very capable of going on life's adventures and handling the challenges that come up. But at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is we are all highly dependent people. We depend on a number of different things. We depend on the relationships that we have to offer us encouragement, to offer us comfort, to offer us a sense of reassurance. We, we rely on practical things like banking institutions to manage our money and to help us operate within this culture that we live in. Let me give you a quick test to see just how independent you are. What would you do without your cell phone? How would that affect your day? How would that affect how you stay in contact with people? How would that affect the way you do business? How would that affect the way you manage your calendar? See, all of a sudden we realize that we are highly dependent upon the cell phone and some of the technology around us. What if you couldn't drive? How dependent upon you are you on your car and your automobile and your ability to go from one place to the next? Think about how it would change if tomorrow you found yourself unable to operate a vehicle or you had no car to drive. How it would dramatically change. Or what about if we didn't have indoor plumbing? Think about it. You wake up in the morning, you take fresh water, and you start your cup of coffee. And then all of a sudden, you, you wash your, your dishes in the sink, and now it's time to get in the shower, and nothing. No water. That no, the no comfort of being able to go into your bathroom and all those luxuries of just simply being able to operate with indoor plumbing. We quickly become dependent upon the things around us. We take them for granted, and we start to, to develop a life that uses them highly. Now, these aren't bad things. We're wired to be dependent. We are not wired to be independent creatures that live on our own without the support of things around us. But the important thing is to keep them in their right place. Last week, Kevin mentioned, we were talking about uh, Matthew 6.24, and this, this grand idea of that God says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and your wealth. You cannot serve God and the, materialist, the materialistic things of this world. You have to draw a line in the sand. And that's what Kevin was talking about last week as far as it's got to be one or the other. We're wired to be dependent people, but the truth is, the more that we start to serve mammon, the more we start to be dependent upon mammon. We start to depend on the things of this world. We start to put our trust and our dependency on things that are not of God. Now, Jesus knew that this would let us down very quickly, and one of the major messages that Jesus is giving, specifically out of this passage of Scripture, is that you have to place your dependency in God. Anything else will leave you broken. Anything else will leave you unsatisfied. Anything else will leave you longing and aching for more. Now, this particular passage that that was taught about last week, and we're going to continue on in Matthew 6 today, it comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, in his ministry, had one of these great, prolific sermons that he gave to people as they came and gathered on the mountainside. And he taught about everything from what do you do with your finances, to how relationships work, to how we are supposed to live in this world um, void of, of, um, of revenge, and a, a litany of things that he taught about. And in that passage, he talks about this idea of serving God and not mammon. Now, when we, today we're going to talk out of a passage in Matthew 6. And the first time I heard this passage, I was six years old. Also another young story of me as a kid. And as a church that we went to is the Evangelical Free Church in Playa del Rey. Now, occasionally, they would have worship services where it was like request night. Like, we all sat in the audience, and even as a six-year-old, 
the worship director would say, does anybody have any requests? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. I was quick to raise my hand. But I always kind of landed on one of two songs. And this song was one of the songs that I routinely went to because it, it was, I was familiar with it and I could sing it really well. Now, I'm going to give it a go. And if you guys know it, you can sing along with me, okay? Now, some of you have to sing along with me because it'll be very lonely if, you're, if you don't. All right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Alleluia, alleluia. Man, we got a choir in the making. The truth is that song stayed with me years and years and years. And there's a powerful concept in this song that we have to address, and today I want to spend time thinking about when I was six, six years old sitting in that room, it seemed like just a fun song to sing. But now as I look back and I look at the, the deeper meaning of what it's talking about, it's a fundamental concept that we have to embrace as Christians. It comes out of Matthew 6, verse 33, but I'm going to read 31 through 34, and it'll be on the screen. You can read along. Matthew 6, 31. So don't worry about the things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. In that verse, you can see these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. All these practical needs, they're very much needs for all of us. No one's going to disagree that we need food, we need drink, and we need shelter, we need clothing. But what God's saying is that you don't have to worry about them. That's what unbelievers do. For any of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, for any of us that look at him as the Lord and Savior of our lives, Jesus is saying, you don't have to worry about it. That's not your job to worry about it. And the reason it's not is because Dad knows what you need. Dad understands what you need. You don't have to fret and worry about how you get it. The words that are used are strong words. They're saying to wish for, to crave, to demand. These are things that, that, the, that unbelievers sought, that seek after, and it's almost a passionate pursuit of these things because they have to have them. Now, one of the concepts that's, that's, that's subtly mentioned under here is that we who call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior have dual citizenship. Meaning, we're sitting right now in Irvine, California. Most of us live in Huntington Beach, Fountain Valley, part of Orange County, in the state of California, in the United States of America, and we're part of this this global population. We are very clearly citizens of this world. What Jesus is saying is, you have to also realize that you're citizens of the kingdom of heaven as well. You're citizens of the kingdom of God as well. And that is a great point of tension for us, is how do we live in both of those worlds? Because it clearly says that believers, will, their thoughts will be dominated of things of this world. But we, who are part of the kingdom of God, do not have to worry about the things of this world. But we all have to wrestle with ourselves. What does that balance point look like? I can remember a, a story. I'm a pretty modest guy. I don't, I don't go out and live a, a hugely lavish lifestyle. But every once in a while, there's something that clicks in me that's not the greatest trait. 
And the, the times I recognize it most are at the Hurley warehouse sales. How many people have been to a Hurley warehouse sale? Okay, a minority. So those of you who don't know, Hurley, a big clothing manufacturer, it's a local company, every once in a while they'll bring in all the product that they haven't sold and they'll blow it out. They'll like, rent an empty warehouse and they'll sell shirts for like two bucks, pants for like five dollars, and it's just like I get in there and something clicks going like, I gotta get everything. The, the deals are so good that I have to go out and buy everything. And something like this scarcity instinct kicks in with me, that if I don't go out and find the right sweatshirt, if I don't go out and find the right shoes, I'm going to miss out, and I better get in front of that person because what if they take the last one in my size? And I end up walking out of that place feeling as though I need to go back because I'm leaving something behind that I shouldn't. I want to hoard it all for myself. I want to gather it all, and I want to take full advantage of it. And it's that mentality that, that Christ is warning against. We don't have to go out and, and spend all of our energy gathering and hoarding for something that is of, of very little importance because our dad is watching out for us and he knows what we need. Now the danger, the long-term danger of this that Jesus knows is that it, the more we start to put our dependence in things of this world, the more we start to put our dependence in things that are not of God, the more we kind of shove God to the back of the picture. I'm going to give you some examples of how that looks. The things that we are most dependent in are the things that we will fight to preserve the hardest. All of us are wired to have a certain sense of approval. We're wired to be a part of of a group, and we're wired to have people that like us, that approve of us. But when that gets distorted to an unhealthy level, now all of a sudden we start to change our very identity so that people will approve of us, and we lose our sense of self. And the reality is, Some people are just not going to like us. But if that's our pursuit in life, is that everyone likes us, then we will make sacrifices and we'll lose ourselves in that pursuit. Another area is that this idea of being ambitious or or having a sense of empowerment and capability. Well, when that gets pushed to an unhealthy level and it's our source of dependence, we quickly can become overbearing. We quickly can become cutthroat and we can alienate people as we pursue power, as we pursue this sense of accomplishment in our life and we will step on anyone that we have to to get in our way. And furthermore, if somebody starts threatening ours, we will do anything we can to suppress them. And the reality is it doesn't matter how successful you are, it doesn't matter how empowered you are, at some point in time, someone's going to replace you. And if that's what we put all of our worth and our value in, we now are, are building our, our foundation and our dependency on a, on a false bill of goods. All of us are wired to have love and companionship. But if we pursue love and companionship that's not of God, we quickly can make sacrifices and we can lower our standards and find ourselves in situations that are uncomfortable and unhealthy for us. How many of us have had a friend, someone that's close to us, who's been in a relationship, and something to the effect of says, well, I know that they don't treat me that well, and I know they, they abuse me verbally, and I know that sometimes they, they push me around, but they really love me. But I know deep down that they love me, and I love them. And you think about that, and you go, how in the world does it get to a place where somebody is so willing to be in an unhealthy situation? And it's because this pursuit of love and this dependency on being loved allows people to sacrifice their good judgment. All of us have a wiring for companionship. And many of us pursue and spend so much energy in finding that special someone a spouse, a a deep relationship with someone. And the reality is it doesn't matter whether you've been married for 50 years or five years. 
that's not something that we can ultimately depend on. And that might sound harsh saying, well, wow, that's a real downer. But the reality is that God never intended our spouse to be our sole sense of dependency. He never intended our approval to be a a reliable sense of dependence. All the time, God is saying, you need to be dependent upon me first. And those healthy pursuits is what brings about balance. And to that, God says in, in the passage above, he says, we need to pursue the kingdom of God above all else. See, when we get into trouble is when we place other things and we start to pursue all these other things rather than pursuing God. Our first place that we have to stop is the kingdom of God. That's the first primary spot that we have to go in and set our anchor saying, this is what I'm going to be dependent upon. I'm going to be dependent upon, upon God and the things of his kingdom. Now, what is the kingdom of God? This is a topic that, that I cannot even scratch the surface of in the time that we have today. But a couple things that we all need to be reminded of about the kingdom of God that we need to set a firm foundation on is that, first of all, it's a very real kingdom and Jesus is the king. Jesus has full authority. Jesus is the one that rules over it and has the ability to do anything he wants. The kingdom has no physical boundaries and it's expanding all the time. Jesus' uh, goal is that, that the people would be added to the kingdom every single day. And any of us that, that believe in Jesus Christ are the citizens of that kingdom. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, to believe in him and to accept him as your Lord and Savior, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This is not some future destination. This is not something of like, oh, I can't wait till I get to the kingdom of heaven. It's something that Jesus continually taught, saying the kingdom of heaven is now. He's bringing it in, and we get to enjoy and be a part of its efforts right now. This is not something for the future. This is something that we need to embrace right now. And the kingdom is at war with this physical world that we live in. Jesus is facing us with a very clear thing. He says, you can either be part of what I'm doing, or you will be part of what's going on in this earth, what's going on in this world. And that's the challenge that we have of this dual citizenship. How many of you guys have seen that not of this world sticker? You see it all the way around, all the time. It's a, it's a very prominent Christian sticker. And that's the thought behind that sticker, which is we're not of this world. We're definitely very much in it right now. But we need to set our standards on something beyond, something in the kingdom of God. Now, the last part that I want to touch upon in this passage is that it says, to not only seek the kingdom of God, but to live righteously. And this idea is that living righteously is the prescribed lifestyle of the kingdom of God. None of us will ever attain it. So I want to get you guys off the hook right now. You do not have to live a perfect life. And that's not what Jesus is teaching in this. He says you need to seek the kingdom and righteousness. It doesn't say to perfect it. It says to seek it. We need to live righteously. And the, act of, the idea of living righteously is this idea of having integrity, having virtue, having a purity of life, living rightness, and having a correct way of thinking about, about this world that we live in. Now, Proverbs paints a very strong contrast to you either live as a righteous person, or as Proverbs says, or you are living as a wicked person. It's a very stern black and white that Proverbs says. And it's this idea of either we're embracing the righteousness that God has for us. We're seeking to understand what is the lifestyle that God wants for me to enjoy, what God wants for me to carry out. And am I pursuing that or am I abandoning that and falling back into the default, which is living a wicked lifestyle? 
One that is void of the things that are of God and that, quite frankly, are not doing anything as far as our own quality of life. This is not about earning our way, though. This is not about doing the right things so that we can attain heaven. It's not about doing the right things so that God will be pleased in us. It's not about doing the right things because that's what God demands and anything less is is worthy of being punished. This is about Jesus giving instructions, loving instructions, as to how we are supposed to operate in this world. I know many of you are parents out there. And all of you who are parents, give your, your, your children's boundaries and you give your children's direction, not because you want to punish them and not because you want them to experience restrictions in their life, but because you want to set them up to succeed. You want to set them up to experience everything that this, this world has to offer. And that's the same motivation behind what Jesus is teaching about with pursuing a righteous lifestyle. Now, the unfortunate result, if we don't, is that our life will experience pain and suffering and heartache. Jesus is saying, you really have two options. Either listen to what I'm saying or don't and experience the consequences of an alternative lifestyle. Out of Matthew 7... Matthew 7 is the culmination of this Sermon on the Mount. We talked about this idea of loving God and, and, and or serving God or mammon. And now we just talked about this idea of seeking first the kingdom of God. And in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has this culminating paragraph in Matthew 7, which talks about kind of this summary of his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7. Does anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock? Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. He's saying, you guys, you can listen to what I'm talking about. Because a storm's coming. It's not saying if a storm comes, it says when the storm comes. And none of us are immune to the storms. Has anybody been immune to the storms of this year? I'm thinking all of us, with a little bit of thought, can realize, man, there was certainly some tough parts of this year. And Jesus is saying, there are going to be tough parts. The difference is, if you listen and incorporate what I'm talking about, when the tough parts come, you're going to be standing firm. If you don't, you're going you're gonna to experience ruin in your life. And again, this is, a, this is instruction that's motivated by, by God's desire to not see us inflict this harm, to not see us suffer, to not see us be, be tossed around when these struggles hit. Building on a solid foundation. What are we depending on? Are we depending on God, or are we depending on things of this world? Now, if that's, if that's the warning against why we, why we should listen to God, what is, what is the promise behind it? What is the benefit? What comes along with this idea of incorporating and seeking this kingdom of God that, that Jesus is talking about? Romans 12.2 is actually our church verse for, for this year that's winding down. And Romans 12.2 says, Don't copy the behavior or customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. 
The first part of 12 says, don't copy the behaviors of the world. So how are we supposed to incorporate all this? The first thing that, that I would propose in that first verse, it says, we have to be aware of what are the behaviors and the customs of this world that we so naturally sink into. They're very common, and all of us are susceptible to it. What are the ways that we just kind of let this world get its behaviors, and we start to follow its customs? We have to become students of that. It's a matter of this idea of upward mobility. How many of us are pursuing something more out of life? If we don't have the higher education, if we don't have the newest fashions, if we don't have the, the, the newer car, if we don't have the, the larger house, then there's, there's, there's a certain assumption that we are not as successful as we should be. And our culture screams, you have to pursue these things. You have to find your identity in these things, because if you don't, you're less than the people around you. On the back of your outline or, or on your cell phone, I want you to make a note of this idea of a custom of this world. And we're going to come back to that, because in order for us to make changes, we need to be able to identify and then move beyond our understanding or acceptance of one of these ideas. So on the back of your outline, this idea of putting down a custom of this world. Romans 12.2 goes on to say, But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. When I sat back and I listened, I was thinking about this, this topic. I was trying to boil it down. What is it about this passage that has had the most profound impact in my life? And I can think back to when I was, uh, I was a young man, and I was, uh, I was working at a, at a golf shop, and this idea of, of, of ascending to, to the corporate level and really making strides in my career started to come at a conflict with this pursuit of ministry. And I had to tell my boss that I wanted a demotion and a transfer. I go, I know that I'm general manager over this store, but what I need you to do is demote me back to the sales floor and transfer me to Santa Ana so that I can pursue ministry. And it didn't make any sense to anybody, and it didn't really, uh, it wasn't met with any type of excitement for, for what decisions I was making in my life. But it was a pivotal point in my life where God allowed me to transform my way of thinking, saying, it doesn't make sense, but you need to do this. And it was critical for me, and I think it's critical for all of us, to realize that there's things in our lives and decisions that we get to make that are not going to be logical. They're not going to be the way that everyone else views the way that life runs. That we get to make decisions and we get to make stances in our life that are based on what God's directing and guiding us to do. And at that critical moment, God gave me the ability to step in and, and think about life through a different set of lenses. To think about what could be possible rather than trying to preserve what I had. This isn't easy. And one vote of confidence that I'll give you guys is that it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like any of us can walk out of here going, you know what, I want to have a new way of thinking today. And tomorrow, immediately everything falls into place. This is a lifelong pursuit. This is something that we do not ever master, but it's something that we always have to lean in on. On the back side of your bulletin, I want you to add the term new way of thinking. Because there's got to be new ways of thinking that we need to embrace. As we, as we seek to understand this life that we live, as we seek to understand this world that we're in, being very honest with ourselves about what are we truly dependent in? What are we truly looking at for our sense of security, our sense of joy, our sense of, of happiness in this life. 
And then Romans 12, 2 finishes with, Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. It's this idea of this formula that happens. This isn't a recipe to get everything that we want. This isn't a, okay, what do I want in life, and so what do I have to do to get it? God is putting a a completely different reality about what his kingdom is about. And as we pursue him more, our needs change. The things that we want transform. The things that we need start to align with what God is wanting us to do in this life. And the great thing that happens is that God starts to show himself more and more as we align ourselves with his kingdom. The more that we study his word, the more that we spend time with him, the more that we ask for his guidance, the more that he shows himself. All of a sudden we realize that hardships are not an indication that God is not trustworthy. All of a sudden we realize that tragedies are not a sign that God has forgotten about us. All of a sudden we realize that disappointment is not a sign that God is not dependable. Those tragedies, those hardships, those disappointments, all of a sudden we get to realize that they are about building us into something new, building us into something stronger, and building us into something more courageous as we live in this life. I look at a guy like Paul. Paul is a man that, that, I, have aspire, that I have a great deal of appreciation and, and, and I admire. How do you get to be a, somebody who is imprisoned, who is beaten and is, ba- is battered, but he looks at those all as opportunities to further the gospel. He was in jail, and the jail shook, and an earthquake opened up the gates, and he didn't run free for his freedom. He looked around and said, what is the opportunity that God's affording me? And in that moment, he took the, the soldiers, the guard of that, of that jail, and rather than running away, he chose to travel with that soldier, sharing him the gospel, and ended up bringing the entire family to Christ. What are the things in our lives that feel like they're disasters? What are the things in our lives that feel like they're weighing down, but they're simply us not realizing that God is providing opportunity? That's what the kingdom mindset is about. When we seek the kingdom of God above all else, we start to think through things differently. We start to realize the the blessing and the benefit of what God has for us. Because the good news through all of this, this entire concept, When you boil it down, it's that we have a God that knows you best. You have a God that knows you intricately and that knows you better than anybody and truly knows what is going to bring about fullness of your life. He has proven that he wants you to experience the best out of this life. We have a God that the more that you seek his kingdom, the more that you seek his righteousness, the more that you look to understand him and his kingdom, the more you will see his perfect plan for your lives. That's our journey. That's what we get to go on. And it's a tough one. And it's a lifelong one. But as long as we pursue him above all else, things will fall into place. In a moment, I'm going to welcome John up here. and He's going to sing a song over you. But on the back of your card, I want you to pin down And seek God for what is the custom of this world that you need to abandon. I want you to seek God to find out what's the new way of thinking that you need to incorporate. What's the promise that you need to be reminded of? And I want you to to pin down something that you need guidance in. 
What is a situation in your life that you cannot quite figure out, that you desperately need God's direction in? And as John sings over you, write a response to those. Let me pray. Lord, you've, uh, you've put us in a very interesting spot being people who are part of your kingdom, people that are part of your family, but yet we're very much part of this world. We're very much submersed into a culture that is at war with this idea of being a child of yours. God, we, we don't have a clue as to how to navigate this, and we desperately need your word and this reminder today that, that we have to pursue you above everything else because if we don't, we will certainly fall into things of this world and they will consume us and they will let us down and we will be disappointed through them. God, speak to us as your kids. Help us understand the things that hold us back and give us courage to step in and trust you more with our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariner's Church in Huntington Beach. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.